Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It is episode eight. It's Christmas for you. So, Nadole Klawen, Merry Christmas. It's not for us. <laughs> no, we're still at work. And for the first time in ages, we've gone back on the road. We have. We've gone. I wish we had a road trip bus. That would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> Podcast bus. We have travelled all the way to Tonopandi in Wales. And we are at Uskal Nant Gwyn. And we have a guest, Tom. We do. Another guest. So we would like to introduce you to the lovely Kath Lewis, who is Head of Faculty for the Expressive Arts at Escornanguin, and also, drumroll please, pioneer for Expressive Arts Area of Learning and Experience. And we are going to be talking to her today about being a pioneer. So I guess our first question, Kath, is... What is your pioneer role? What does that mean in terms of this new curriculum that we are currently creating in Wales? Yes. Okay. Well, I think as we're moving along the process of, and we're we're a couple of years in now from first, you know, sitting in in groups in AOLEs in areas of learning experience and and trying to decide how we would make this curriculum or the recommendations by Professor Donaldson come into into being in a curriculum framework we ideally we we want to move away from thinking of ourselves as pioneers we're we're just you know practitioners who are working alongside the rest of the profession in developing initially of course devising the the curriculum alongside a set of recommendations already provided by uh, Professor Donaldson by way of Successful Futures so being a a pioneer has up until now meant that every month we meet as a as a group of professionals so practitioners across Wales um, across all sectors uh, from primary special schools secondary schools we've also now uh, more recently got representation from FE colleges and from the non-maintained sector to make sure we've got excellent you know breadth right across from the beginning stages of learning right right through then and yeah we're just trying to to make make headway really in terms of creating something that that is going to work at school level and you know the the recommendations that professor donaldson gave us in successful futures provided us with the the blueprint so we had something to go on but it's also provided the blueprint for the professional learning that needs to to happen alongside the curriculum development so as a pioneer for the the expressive arts curriculum i and so the 20 other colleagues from around Wales are meeting and we're, we're developing, devising, creating, redrafting and doing all we need to in terms of a, a curriculum framework. But we also have professional learning pioneers who are then tasked with trialling what we produce, but also preparing the profession in line with the new professional teaching standards and as well with schools as learning organisations frameworks to ensure that whatever it is that the framework um, ends up being that that the profession is able to ensure that it it fulfills the aspirations that that Professor Donaldson had for it. Oh, thank you for that, Kath. That was a really comprehensive overview. And I think what's going to be important in all of this, for particularly for some of our listeners, a lot of our student teachers are going to be trialing this new curriculum themselves. You know, they're going to be in a in a sense pioneers too. You know, absolutely yes, and that's part of this moving away, I suppose, from pioneers and that that name. I think it's quite off putting. Yes, we're all pioneers at the moment because we're in a national education reform. So every single teacher, support staff, anybody involved in in education is a pioneer because we've all got a trial and then try to enact 
this this reform and make it a success. So I think initially we we began with a system of 170 pioneer schools and each school nominated a a lead practitioner to to represent them but now as we're going forward we're just trying to engage as many people as we can um, and actually making sure that we're talking to employment sectors and we're bringing in every facet to ensure that this really does live up to the um, aspirational promise that successful futures gave us a lot of weight on your shoulders <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, profession, I, yeah. what our listeners will probably be interested in is this has been a two-year journey am I right in saying that's that? right yes and yes. what kind of steps have you taken so from being tasked with this massive job of co-constructing the area of learning experience for the expressive arts presumably made up by teachers of multiple arts disciplines where did you even begin well, the, the the chair of our of our expressive arts AOLE, Vanessa McCarthy, she's a, a head teacher in Brenner Primary School. Shout out to them. She always says it was like harnessing the energy of ping pong balls in a little room because <laughs> as expressive artists, we've all got quite a lot to say. We were all very passionate, and we definitely all arrived in a room very much as subject specialists. So I arrived as a musician and a music teacher and and so did many other colleagues, the same as an art specialist. We we came into contact possibly for the first time in my career in, in any depth with uh, cross-phase working and, and with primary practitioners. In the secondary sector, we've always given a nod to transition work and, and that's increasing um, now or certainly in the last few years but it really was the first time to be getting professional dialogue with teachers from across our learning continuum right from nursery through and, and understanding the pressures the good things that are happening the, the sector leading practice and making sure that was all part of a melting pot that that went into us producing something mm. um, and yeah you know it, it was very very difficult to get any consensus because the primary colleagues initially were saying well we're not experts we're not specialists we don't really know how to deliver expressive arts or we can deliver creative learning but then the secondary specialists were feeling well you know it's all about knowledge and skills and and we need to and coverage and we, we need to make sure that we're delivering to qualifications and and actually it's just an amazing journey that you want everybody to be able to go on because where we're so fortunate is that we were able to monthly meet together and have these debates heated debates to 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 really work through some of our issues with it which then allowed us to move forward and then opened our minds to engaging with research to looking at international good practice whether it's pedagogy or just actual curricular documents but the rest of the profession hasn't had that so the idea now in going forward is making sure that we really bring the rest of the profession including your your student teachers there your trainees to make sure that they feel included Mm. um, because it's not just 170 pioneer schools who are going to be delivering Mm. um, in, in classrooms so we need to make sure that from April when when the curriculum is presented to the profession for feedback and consultation that is still a co-constructed you know stage of the process so Um, the conversation is ongoing absolutely it doesn't stop then um so it's still and even as we're we're reaching publication day dates it doesn't stop we are still making changes we're still listening to people 
anybody who will give us feedback, advice, shout us down, something that doesn't work, we consider it and, and we look at it. And we're doing that alongside constant uh, review of research. And we have um, a team, CAMI team, who are working on providing the research and evidence base for us. And CAMI is a Welsh term, isn't it? It's STEPS. STEPS, yes. yes. So they're working on the kind of assessment Branch. That's right, looking at, and um, you know, we've been heard from Successful Futures, Donaldson talked about progression steps and achievement outcomes, and, and they're, they're the way that we can pace learning within our curriculum. They're not explicitly assessment, but they're the, the nods, the signposts to what a learner should look like at each stage in their, their journey, whether aged three or five or eight. And then from that, schools can create meaningful, authentic, assessment procedures that that are befitting their practices and their school curricula sure so reading between the lines there that your journey has been really one about collaboration and listening lots of deep discussion co-constructing all with this end goal of a publication of the new curriculum and I know that in that process you had big conversations that hinged on what matters in the expressive arts so just tell us a little bit about how you decided with as you said you know multiple voices in the equation multiple settings how did you decide what matters in the expressive arts yes well actually it was something that we looked at really early on and I think we say we sort of coined it as a as a phrase initially because when we were coming together as a range of disciplines and different specialists and different practitioners in a room we were trying to look at currently the national curriculum for music for art it is effective it isn't uh, content driven so it is it is more skills based so we don't have to run away from anything everything that's good but we were looking at that traditional in music our curriculum has been based around performing composing and appraising and we were looking at what were the processes that were common to all of our arts disciplines so we spent a lot of time researching debating and distilling down to the commonalities and what we we came up with very early on were some keywords that that we felt encompassed our aole and they were words like explore respond reflect uh, create um, experience and we had words like perform and exhibit and but actually you know, we realised if they couldn't be used common to every discipline, then they couldn't be used as sort of headline words for, for the AOLE. So so we, fairly early on in the, in the process, came up with explore and experience as a process, create and express as a process, and then respond and reflect. And every, it really was a turning point in bringing us together as a group, because we all said, oh, wow, we can see this. That makes sense. As a musician, I can work within those processes. And, you know, as an artist, uh, our colleagues could also see that. And when we were gaining feedback from schools, schools were saying, oh, this makes sense to us. This is something that, that is familiar, perhaps based on our previous curriculum. And so basically, we were unaware at the time, but the curriculum and assessment group and the advisory boards that inform this process as part of the co-construction were were tasking AOLEs with looking at the big ideas approach, big ideas of science from Professor Wynne Harlan. And we, we looked at them early on and we said, oh, that doesn't work. 
in the arts and no no we we didn't like that as an idea and we had uh, one of our, our colleagues in the group kept saying uh, and he's actually sort of by trade a scientist but a, a fantastic arts primary practitioner um, but he, he kept saying no we can't discount this I think this has got merit I think this idea of creating concepts from which you learn and ideas bigger than sort of small details of, of, of content and coverage would have merit and the idea was that uh, when Harlan herself was part of the process and she said, well, not all big ideas matter. So uh, what matters uh, was created, was born, um, and each Aole was tasked with creating uh, what matters. And our what matters, you know, have, have redrafted many times. And actually they, they went into uh, statements about developing creativity is central to learning in the arts and artistic communication is, is essential. But actually, in, in recent months now, we, we've gone back to what we initially created was that what matters fundamentally to the arts and all of our discipline is exploring, experiencing, creating, responding, reflecting. And those are the things that matters. So they are the things that have become now our curriculum organisers within this new framework. Very interesting. I th- and what I found quite interesting about this was how research kind of fed into this part of the process as well. So you engaging with multiple different sources in co-constructing. Yeah. And now I guess you've gotten to this point, this real kind of moment in time where you're about to hand this over now. Yes, to teachers, yes. well, to the professional learning pioneers who are trialling this as yes. we speak. And I, I just want to kind of think hypothetically about these teachers who can have this document, this shiny document in their hands. Have you got any do's and don'ts? Any well, first kind of, of all, tips? yes, because actually nobody's going to have it in their hands. And that's okay. the really important thing. So it is, you know, we're in a digital age, so it of will course. only ever, I think, teachers, head teachers are expecting some big doorstop of a document to come through the, the post and they can rest their coffee mugs on it. But yeah. no, it, it's only ever going to appear online. It, and, you know, so, so that's, that's part of, you know, we've been preparing for that with Hub and part of the digital competency framework and the digital pioneers um, feeding in. So it won't ever be in your hands. You will look at it on the on the website but yeah definitely in interpreting it there will be challenges but in 2015 when the successful futures uh, review was published we were given certainties then welsh government said this is going to be a purpose-led curriculum it won't be based on the 1988 coverage based curriculum we're, we're moving to purposes and the four purposes were clearly outlined in the document we also know about our, our cross-curricular competencies with our literacy numeracy and digital competence frameworks so the professional learning pioneers have been really looking to try and prepare the profession with what they already know you yourselves have been looking i know in cardiff met at the pedagogical principles and looking at blended teaching in collaboration and so there, there's been a lot the last two years that we already know and there's a lot of schools doing some fantastic things mm. and you will know this from your your trainee teachers who are going into partner schools they don't have that label of pioneer school yet there's sector leading practice going on there and there are so many schools who aren't sitting back and waiting for that shiny document but they are looking at our purposes and the pedagogical principles and the cross-curricular competencies and they are already making steps to reform the way that they work and that's really key because this as I said isn't going to be a curriculum that 
stipulates content. It very much is a, a high uh, overarching framework from which each school will create their own um, school level curriculum framework. So it's very important that it, the profession is ready for how they can co-construct and how they can feed into the process of this but also then how they can make sure that it's successful for each of their settings because it's been constructed in a way that allows for autonomy and teacher agency and doesn't restrict the sort of freedoms that we've we've been lacking in the last few years. Which I think is really exciting and important but playing devil's advocate for those teachers out there who might look at this and feel quite perturbed at the fact that they will be teaching outside of their comfort zone Mm -hmm. aka their their subject discipline I'm thinking secondary specifically there what advice would you give to them well when I speak to schools the first thing I say is to be very careful who you listen to be careful of of the headline statements Professor Donaldson just a couple of days ago was telling qualifications Wales this isn't a skills versus knowledge debate or you know both are really important and there is going to be nods to skills and knowledge and experiences that that nod to the planning what you need to do our progression steps our achievement outcomes showing us how to pace that learning and what an educated person looks like at age five or progression step two or three again to help teachers plan a relevant curriculum for their settings I always say that lots of people, particularly the expressive arts practitioners, hear that they have to change to a totally interdisciplinary approach. And I just keep saying there is autonomy, there is a level of freedom for each school to determine what their provision looks like. And, you know, there's a a level of entitlement that we've written into our curriculum framework to ensure that the arts is as equitable as any other AOLE and that we're ensuring that we've got interdisciplinary opportunities but that as we progress through the school we are seeing discipline specific input nobody wants to be out of a job I know Tom and myself as musicians we've lived for that that's our passion but of course when you start to just see the possibilities by talking to the art teacher in your school as a musician or collaborating with some other teachers you realize that the arts maybe more than any other area are so transferable I think you could name any theme for a a thematic project that we could input into as art subject initially dipping the toe in it might be through a a drop-down immersion day or it might be through planning collaboratively over a year and you'll just plan to one theme but you could still initially have that music teacher delivering the music part and that art teacher will still deliver their part so it can be as simple as that or it can fully you know be in, become interdisciplinary um a model which is more uh, what we're trialing here at Escalant Gwyn where yeah you know we don't have specialist teachers teaching all of those things but we've got a, a fairly comprehensive program of professional learning mm-hmm. to ensure that those non-specialists are able to teach the skills and knowledge that is needed to apply them to thematic work. I wonder if we could zoom this out a little bit because I'm I'm aware that not everyone that hears this podcast is going to be in Wales and not everybody is going to be um, in the exciting position of designing a new curriculum but I know that as part of the journey that you've been on being in this pioneer kind of role 
you've learned some interesting lessons about how when you're involved in driving some sort of enormous change in an institution, how it is you go about selling that to not only the people on the ground needing to deliver it, but also perhaps the leaders who you're trying to persuade to give you that space to do that. Yeah, I think that's that's just universal. I think that there's um, each regional consortium have been, you know, trying to help embed change management strategies uh, across their regions. And I've gone to a few courses with that myself. I was researching it as part of my MA with you guys at Cardiff Met last year, and it is fascinating the feelings associated with an imposed change of this scale are just so common to any industry, any profession. And, you know, this is happening. The difference is that we've got to try and make sure that because the model that Welsh Government have chosen to adopt is this co-constructed model, that the profession feel it's not done to them, but it's done with them. And of course, up until now, there's been a lot of focus on pioneer schools, you know, leading that. But it's really important for the, the next phase that actually the co-construction really does mean the wider profession and if you look at any change management and winning hearts and minds literature it's all about gaining that buy-in from any profession in order to facilitate and move ahead with change so embracing people's negativity I think that shocked me initially I couldn't see why everybody didn't think it was a good idea to make the education system better but so for each time you had to stand up in front of 90 teachers at inset and People were saying, "This, I don't want this, I haven't asked for this, and this isn't going to work. And just constantly remaining optimistic and just finding those little glimmers of what they're already doing well now and what is going to remain and showing that not everything has to change in a large organisational uh, restructure like this is for our, our system and that we can make small steps. And that's why the profession is being given several years before we actually are going to be having to deliver this in schools because it's taken that time to embed. And when you're a teacher with a big idea, what do you do to get your bosses on side? Because there's there's always that thing, isn't there, that you might have a big idea, but they their priorities are not necessarily always the same. I think you've probably learned a few lessons about how to keep the people above you on side as well as the people you're perhaps trying to convince. Yeah, that's a really you. interesting slant, actually, isn't it? Because, yeah, it's not, not necessarily about that peer support, but also you have to gain support from, yeah, the side of you, above you, below you, every facet, because the children themselves, we've got to remember, are central to this. So they need to be supporting senior leadership teams, you know, particularly if you're in a successful school. Well, there's no appetite to change. What we already do is working. So why would we change? So it's, again, trying to get that rationale over to them that what we do is is good, yeah, and it it addresses that need for data and, and it pleases all of the people that sit above our senior leadership teams, holding them to account. But actually, is it right for children? And what do we really want an educated person at 16 to look like? You know, great if we've got nice data for them, but what else do we want? And this is about concentrating on those purposes. And there's not a person in teaching in the education system who doesn't want these well-rounded human beings at age 16. So it's marrying those two up and trying to yeah, win over the senior leadership teams that actually we won't be throwing 
out GCSEs, we won't suddenly be ineffective if we just trial a project with a year seven class. And that small steps can create great uh, momentum. In my previous school, some effective work done on the DCF, the Digital Competence Framework, was that nobody actually saw the framework. The head of IT, Helen, made a concerted effort just to keep the framework from everyone, but just ask, were there any digitally enriched tasks that you did? And you did that first one summer inset. You came back in September and then she said, oh, could you, could you actually now specifically create a project for me in faculties based around that that's and sneaky that's like yeah. sneaking sneaking the veg into the uh, into the spaghetti bolognese isn't it, it? <laughs> yeah it's what i do with with my children pureeing it up yes i this, like it yeah this, and, and it really works because actually i was never fearful of the dcf i just suddenly then became aware that i was using the dcf and we were planning for it and and incorporating it within our department but so you know the the, the catchphrase there was don't scare the horses just to um to round off our deep discussion you mentioned the most important people in all of this which is the pupils our learners and you talked at the start about them being kind of lifelong learners Mm. let's get our crystal balls out and look ahead 10 years what do those pupils look like what are they gaining what is the hope that you have that they will gain and maybe what does the classroom look like in 10 years time once this has started to embed yeah well i think with that lifelong learning that starts straight away with us as 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 teachers within the education system and that's part of this the other strand of professional learning the new teaching standards to make sure that we don't see ourselves as completing that pgc and we are finished articles we are continuing our professional development and we're we're showing lifelong passions and 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 hobbies for those children so that they can then emulate that themselves so that's a really important thing and I think often the arts are a a great way where pupils come to your lessons particularly in the secondary and they love watching the likes of Tom or myself as musicians performing with them for them the same as you creating something in the drama studio that they've not seen before so they need to feel inspired and that's for all of us but definitely those learners in 10 years time that the hope is that they don't come out of exam factories and they're not just full of stuff I think Singapore uh, have been going through a recent reform and their slogan is teach less learn more and and Japan similarly theirs is uh, a zest for life and don't we want that for our children because we need the next generation of professionals, of teachers, of doctors to have that zest for life. And so our classrooms may become noisier. They, they may look more disorganised. We may not want to sit our children in rows facing the front because, you know, we want them to inquire. We want them to ask questions and to lead their learning. And then it's up to us to ensure within that, as we're on that path with them and they're leading their learning, we're filling in the knowledge and the skills that they need to really extend what they can do. But the ideas are generated from them. And when we let learners generate ideas, it's so exciting. And and some teachers say to me, but, but you know, in year seven, they'd have learned about the musical elements by week four and they'll have learned this by week eight. Well, do you know what? We don't want to learn about the musical elements in isolation over four weeks. We can be talking about pitch and texture and timbre, whether we're looking at 
life in Africa or whether we're looking at natural disasters around the world. They can learn facts from asking Alexa. My four-year-old asks Alexa every day for a number of facts. But what we've got to make sure is that what we're giving, the value added, is in our ability to help embed those four purposes in our learners. Thank you so much for that, Kath. Now, one of the advantages of having a guest on the podcast is that we usually get them to do the other bits as well, because you're probably sick of all of our advice coming out of our mouths. And Kath, you've been kind enough to uh, give us some things for all of the slots. So let's start off with well-being. If you could tell us all some advice to make our lives better, what would that be? I thought it was really nice when we opened as a new school in September at Skonakwin and every uh, teacher got given a, a sort of survival box with hand sanitizer, mints, uh, wet wipes, lollipop sticks, post-it notes and some well-being tokens which were that you could present them to reception and have a bar of chocolate when you were needing it. Now some, wow. some staff would have preferred a, a, a gallon of wine but <laughs> but you know you can still have <laughs> your wine you with so. your chocolate but I think it's a, a, a banana or something like no, that. No, wine, no. much better. I was yes. hoping after the last episode it would contain all the necessary things to make a cup of tea, but never mind. Yes, oh, there were tea bags as well. <laughs> oh, there, there were tea we bags. Are. It was a really nice little nod, you know, welcome welcome to the school. But other well-being, you know, I was talking to staff about this and the, the simple things, going home on time at least once uh, a week. Um, I had a faculty for English uh, was talking about that, Vicky Evans. And also another thing that Vicky was really keen to to share with you was actually the the need to join networks and whether it's for your subject or just general discussions about education but it really helps so whether it's joining a network to share resources so that you don't have to start from from scratch that's so helpful Um, or you know there's network ed Cymru is 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 growing in popularity at the moment there's every Sunday morning there's there's Twitter debates and discussions about professional learning about the education reform and it's really enlightening and it gives you a confidence that you understand a bit more about the world outside your classroom which does help your confidence and and helps promote well-being in that way so um, joining networks and making sure that you're sharing go to other schools and have a look at what they're doing and and over a cup of tea and, and talk to other people it's so helpful Thank you for that, Kath. Really good practical tips there. Okay, so our next slot is a shout-out slot, uh, and you've got quite a nice oh, yes. tale to tell us that's an, yes. that kind of concludes with a shout-out. <laughs> so t- talk to us okay. about your experience. So in Escondant-Gwyn, we are we're trialling, well, basically we're not using the national curriculum. So each head of faculty was tasked with creating a, a curriculum that spans from nursery through to year 11. Um, a curriculum of non-negotiables. What are the things that every learner needs to have have experienced or known within nursery within reception moving right through and our model is that expressive arts is delivered in thematic learning and that involves between years four and eight non-specialist delivering so part of our process over the first half term was a lot of professional learning and making sure that other teachers were feeling confident enough and competent enough to be able to deliver expressive arts learning to the pupils because I need that as a head of faculty I need to be able to ensure that there is equity of provision that those learners are receiving it whether it's me as a specialist or a non-specialist teacher and quite a few people have been really worried about music they've been really enjoying the artwork prepared for them and following powerpoints but feeling very intimidated by music so we've done a lot of work on that and 
just yesterday, the lovely Dan Stanton, year six teacher. Hi, Dan. He came to me really excited at the start of a, a senior management meeting and said, oh, I did it. I did it. I booked your music room and I took my class in there and we we did some awesome stuff. And at the same time, he was stood next to another teacher, Beth, the lovely Beth Holmes. And she was similar to Dan at the beginning, but nervous, bit worried about how she would deliver expressive arts but particularly music and she did the same she got excited by what Dan was saying I got excited and was hugging him and then Beth said oh my gosh I'm so excited to try this and she uh, today actually had booked my room and was in my room delivering a music lesson so I am so proud of Dan Stanton of Beth Holmes and of every other teacher out there who is having a go at at teaching a subject or an area of the curriculum that they don't or they haven't done before and that is really worth celebrating. You see the thing that really upsets me about our subject music is that it is the one that everyone's so scared about and I sometimes wonder are we slightly to blame for that? I mean some people discover like like your colleagues how much fun you can have making music and yet so many other people go through their lives thinking it's close to them. That's right. And I think this is a really important wider discussion, isn't it, about removing those barriers, making sure access to the arts in general isn't something that's just kept for people who can pay and the elitist aspects of the arts. And the the concern for us, Tom, as musicians at the moment, with the the funding crises at the moment, we've got uh, systems where unless learners can afford to pay for instrumental lessons they they can't learn an instrument through a peripatetic provision in school and you know we've got a lot of barriers at the moment but actually perhaps that provision has maybe always created a sense of elitism that you can do music if you go once a week and you learn the flute or you learn to play and you read notation you play a clarinet but you know we've got to get back to the joy and making sure that every single child is experiencing music and drama and art and some will develop that and we need a route for them to be able to go to that mastery maybe the route that we took but ensuring that up to age 16 every single learner in Wales has got exposure to those arts disciplines and that we then harbour this lifelong love for so many of us it's a love and it's a passion and it's a hobby but it maybe for few becomes our careers but for so many if it can become a hobby or something they said they really enjoyed in school, then that's so important. So we've got to break down those barriers and it needs to come from Tom, you, me, saying to people, it's okay, you can teach music, let me show you. Should I give you some ideas? Would you like this resource? So that's a very important part and that's part of my wellbeing tip about share, share, share and network, support your colleagues. And from the sounds of it, it really invigorated and inspired those two teachers, those two colleagues who did try something new. And, you know, isn't it great, even when you're a seasoned professional in your job, to have a moment where you've learned something new, you've tried it, it's gone well, and you had a great day in the office. Yes, you imagine they then felt, wow, I can teach music. You know, they'd, they'd obviously delivered music as primary practitioners over years, but it may have been a few percussion instruments in a classroom or singing in a hall. Whereas, you know, the, the opportunity with a through school like this is that those teachers can use all the facilities and the resources and equipment we've got at secondary level. So, you know, they were managing a class of, of children all using different instruments, keyboards, glockenspiels, percussion instruments, guitars, ukuleles, PC software. And 
they were massively upskilled just from one lesson. So I'm so excited and it's reinvigorated me to think, wow, we can do this. And where can we get you after a year of this? So it's saying it can be done. And, you know, but we need to make sure that we support colleagues to be able to do it. Very good point. Okay, thank you for that shout out. We're now on to our final slot, which is our something to try, our calorie-free takeout, my favourite phrase. (laughs) So what have you got for us? Something about differentiation. Yes, obviously for us, you know, as arts practitioners, there are so many things to try that we're usually renowned for all of our drama and music games and things. And I think so many people already know about those. But we're at the moment in Ascondant Gwyn, we're within our performance management cycle of lesson observations. And a colleague shared something that she'd seen in the lovely Vicky Evans, English classroom our head of faculty for English um, and languages here and Vicky had approached her, her differentiated learning objectives in a lovely way she had personalized her learning objectives per pupil in her class and at the start of the lesson they were just handed their learning objectives so it just took away they didn't get to see whether they were on the bronze or the silver or the platinum challenge or the easiest the hardest but actually they looked at what was in front of them and that's what they had to achieve and it really motivated them to achieve that they were given optional extensions to that as well so that they could look at that stretch and you know the power of yet they haven't done it yet but they might but I really like that and something I want to look at that actually you know with classes that we see regularly that way that we should be differentiating the objectives and that's part of the way this new classroom might look in 10 years we might have children at all different levels of their learning we might blend teaching ages so we need to be looking at that level of differentiation and really catering for all the abilities in our class and I thought that was a lovely way of doing it without drawing attention to the the mixed abilities in that class and that particularly for art subjects would be really great because mostly we teach mixed ability groupings so that would be a nice thing to trial and I'm sure there's plenty more exciting things that other people could imagine doing to extend that further but just something that I thought was really nice. I could imagine using technology to deliver those personalised learning objectives to the pupils mm. and, and make that easy for the teacher to do. Yes, definitely. There's so many possibilities to take take with that. But the key thing is, you in this performance management cycle, we haven't been asked to submit lesson plans or anything like that. It's very much in line with the Welsh Government saying, stop ticking boxes, it's okay. Of course, evidence of your planning is within the learning happening in front of people so and it's the same those so the learning objectives are central aren't they to to what we need to be doing and of course if they can be as as personalized as possible it's far better to spend your time doing that than to to be creating a a lesson plan with tick boxes and I know at at trainee level we have to do those things it's a process we have to get into the habit of no but it's 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 interesting half because it kind of mitigates against the risk of um you know just flashing up that learning objective because we know an observer wants to see it Mm -hmm. rather than really thinking well what are the learners getting out of that learning objective does that mean anything can you see it extending to the learners creating their own objectives they you know we really need to make learners more accountable for their own progression and so yeah you know that learner after they've got used to those objectives being differentiated for their 
progress for their journey, they will start to feed in. Because of course, as you said, if we're giving learning objectives for a whole class, well, what about their lines of inquiry that they want to bring and that level of freedom that we should have and adaptability in our lessons? So it's making sure that we are also removing or senior leadership teams are removing the barriers to allowing that creativity and that freedom across uh, the board. Kath, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our lovely podcast today. There's a lot of things there that are practical tips that we can take away and lots of food for thought, actually, that has, uh, has given me some things to mull over <laughs> when, we, uh, when we leave the lovely Uskonanguin. And another big shout out, actually, to all of your colleagues who you've mentioned here and your pupils. So thank oh, you very thank much. Thank you. That's lovely. Thank Thanks. you for having us. We should come on the road a bit more often, I think, Emma. I think so. Okay, so that was Emma and Tom's PGC podcast presented by the lovely Emma Thayer and the lovely Tom Breeze. Uh, the special guest this episode was me, Kath Lewis, from Asconanquin in Tonopandi, the Rhonda Valleys. If you're trying to make a big change or you want to build a curriculum, good luck from all of us. Don't frighten the horses. Remember that some of those horses are your bosses. Take it slow, but keep your persistence. Thank you to everybody from me at Ascon who provided ideas and materials for today's episode. And a special st- thanks to Dan Stanton, who took that first plunge and taught music to his pupils. Why not follow his example in your own schools? Have a go. It's not so scary once you try. We're all off to swap our well-being tokens for a gallon of wine. So until next time, take care and enjoy teaching. <laughs>